it's already going and you don't have to worry about it at all. Cool. And I'll just stop it when it's done. How's your week been? Good, how about yours? Yeah. 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 Why don't we go ahead and get started? Uh, let me uh, open this up with a word of prayer. Pray. Father, we are gathered together as people concerned about the life of your church. Uh, people who care deeply about the goings-on the places where we serve, the places where we know your Holy Spirit is at work beyond our local context. We pray that uh, the conversation today would be beneficial towards the end of seeing your kingdom come to fruition in small ways and in large ways where we reside. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I want to start off this morning trying to create some tension. Uh, a tension I've been living with for uh, quite a while. And I, I want to do that by telling you about uh, one of my kids' favorite uh, children's stories. A book called Frederick. Have you uh, anyone read this book about a little mouse? Okay, great. Uh, so Frederick is a field mouse, and he and his, his friends... Uh, he's with or trying to prepare for winter. And so they're scurrying about during harvest time, trying to collect everything they possibly can and store it away so that they will have plenty to eat when winter comes and they're all holed up together. Uh, now, the problem is Frederick doesn't participate in any of that. Uh, they keep asking him, well, okay, we're gathering nuts today. Would you come with us? Uh, he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to sit in the rays of the sun and soak it in so I can remember this moment when winter comes. Hey, we're going to go gather corn today. Why don't you come with us, Frederick? We need your help. No, no, no. I'm going to sit and enjoy the cool breeze so I can remember this moment when winter comes. So on and so on. Then winter finally comes. And that, things are great at first, right? Because they've gathered food. There's plenty to eat. But then the moment comes when... They got nothing. They're just living on crumbs. And that's when Frederick opens his mouth. He's been composing a poem this whole time to describe the way the sun's rays feel and the summer breeze and all these wonderful memories that he has cherished as the rest of his friends were preparing for winter. And that's how the book ends, is this wonderful little poem by this mouse. And all of them were happy because of Frederick's words. Now, part of me thinks Frederick's the only one that gets it. He's doing the important work. He's a contemplative. Right? He knows how to pray. He knows how to be present. He knows how to connect with what's going on around him. And what is life if we're not doing that? What is it worth to work ourselves to death so we have enough if we're not learning how to enjoy what we have? It's not enough to survive, but how do we, how do we thrive? And Frederick gets it. There's a part of me that thinks, man, I, I want to be Frederick. <laughs> to be able to get out of the rat race or the mice race. <laughs> to really be present before God. And to help keep others attentive to God. That seems the work, to be the work of ministry to me. However, there's another part of me who thinks Frederick should have starved that winter. Right? 
Frederick's a freeloader. Uh, he's a moocher. And they probably would have had enough to eat if he had done his fair share of the work. I have this, this tension inside of me. How do you live between these, these two poles of being deeply spiritual and connected with God and creating the kind of boundaries you need in order to do that while also taking responsibility and leading? The two poles of leadership and, and spirituality. Uh, and so I want to explore that just a little bit more by asking you to participate just a little bit. And, and I want you to bring to mind names and faces uh, and let's start with the famous ones. When you hear, when you think about leaders in our world today, what names and faces come to mind? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, absolutely. Who else? Churchill. Churchill, yeah, great. Donald Trump. Donald Trump, yeah. George Washington. George Washington. Lots of politicians. <laughs> Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. Well, let's talk about her in a little bit. Gandhi. Gandhi. Jesus. Jesus. There it is. Winner. That will be a prize for you later. Uh, yeah, good. Okay, so those, those last few names, I think, have lived well in that tension between spirituality and leadership, right? And so we'll talk more about them later. Um, some other names to me that I can come to mind for me, Elon Musk, right? The guy that just sent that... Tesla out into space. Oh, yeah. uh, he's, he's trying to shape the world in certain ways, right? And using all the resources he has to do that. Uh, think about entertainers. Um, who's, has anyone seen any celebrities this weekend or this week? <laughs> Pierce Brosnan, I think, is right down the, the road from where, where Mike Koch, the director, lives. Uh, yeah, these are people who embody leadership for us that we, that we, that we look to. Uh, and when, we, when you think about those kind of leaders, what are some of the characteristics you think that make them good at what they do? What do you have to have to be a leader? Commitment? Commitment? Perseverance. Perseverance? I think you have to have focus. Focus, yeah. yeah. This, I want to accomplish this one thing and nothing is going to get in the way of me, me getting that. There's often a charisma, too. A charisma. Yeah, people are attracted, want to be near. Authenticity. Authenticity? Yeah, great. Yeah, this has to seem like it's, it's coming from a real place. Uh, they're not trying to get something from you, right? Manipulate us. What else? There's a sense of context, like Churchill, um, in another context, I don't think is a great leader. Uh, but somehow he's the right person for the right time in that yeah. situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so fittedness. Yeah, yeah, right? fittedness. Like Trying to find that place yeah. where you, your gifts and abilities really are needed. Yeah. Yeah, good. All right, so let's, let's switch gears just a little bit and think about this word, spirituality. Uh, and you've already tossed out a few names. What are some other names of those big-name leaders in spirituality? Who do you look to for spiritual wisdom? St. Francis. St. Francis. N.T. Yeah. Wright. N.T. Wright, absolutely. Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr. Now one. Uncle. Your uncle. <laughs> What's your uncle's name? Well, I'll He's Pat. Yeah. Randy Harris. Randy Harris, absolutely. Ian Bounds. Yeah, yeah. On prayer. On prayer, yeah, absolutely. Someone back here said Dr. King. Dr. King, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, so when you think about those names in comparison to some of the others that were mentioned, the politicians, Elon Musk. What? You were specific about leaders. Do we, spiritual leaders, Jesus Christ. Sure. Are world leaders taking care of the planet, or supposedly taking care of the planet? Right. Um, you know, is George Washington and our leaders and stuff like that. So there's two different distinctions. Right. Spiritual leader, which I'm thankful for Jesus Christ. Right. And then there's our political, you know, our country leaders. So right. That's where I was. Yeah, and so the question for me is, are there things we can learn from those those worldly leaders? Right? Or is this an intractable tension? Uh, are there things that if you're gonna be a good spiritual leader, you need to be listening to yes, that side of the conversation. Does that make sense? Well, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, I was gonna say in some people there was a clear like Martin Luther King, he was both. Yeah, absolutely. So the concept that one or the other doesn't exist. For most people it does. Right. And actors or some actors or whatever, but in a certain sense our people in our society in the past were very spiritual and very, very leader leaders at the same time. Right. I agree. Yeah. Amen. Uh, and, and he's one that has found he found a way to be deeply shaped by the Christian tradition, but continue to be engaged in the world, right? Because the temptation on this side of things is quietism, right? Yes. Uh, that we're going to withdraw and spend time with God, me and God, be very concerned about the depth of our own spirituality, and yet that never really bleeds into the way we engage the world. Uh, that we're trying to protect that spiritual life so much that it's not a it's not a blessing. Right. Well, that's what happened with, with the, the, while the monasteries were created, while the nunneries were created. Right. They moved from, uh, we have to stay away from the world, so we became monks. That's why we became nuns. That's right. Yeah. 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 Away from yeah. The world. <coughs> Richard Byrne, who was mentioned earlier, has addressed that directly by forming a center for action and contemplation. That's right, yeah. Which is the place contemplation always naturally takes you if you're, if you're doing it well. Uh, but that doesn't seem a, like a natural shift all the time. And I, my husband would be ashamed because I don't remember this guy saying, but I know he's a football player, but he would always pray. And, and so he was a leader yeah. for football, even though some people didn't respect him for his spirituality. But right. He had yeah. 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 So using that platform for, right, yes. to have a different kind of message, spiritual message. Yeah. Good. And then there's others that sit down and don't stand up. Right, which is another kind of spiritual leadership, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the way they see that. Good. Uh, So I've I've lived with this this tension for a while, and there's two mascots for me of of both of these worlds. Uh, And they're both church leaders, both of whom I respect, and both of whom I am learning from. Uh, The two guys are Andy Stanley and Eugene Peterson. And these guys could not be more different. Uh, and yet both have, have spoken into the way I'm approaching church leadership, to th- how I think about exercising spiritual leadership, the way I'm trying to shape my own soul so that I can serve the church well. Um, and there is some major conflict between these two guys, and this is where that tension comes up for me because I want to pick one or the other. And the way they talk about things makes it sound like you have to pick one or the other. So just uh, one example of that 
Uh, Eugene Peterson tells a story in his book, Pastor, about his daughter telling him, Dad, you have been gone so much. You're going to all these meetings. And she had a number. I think it was a high number, 20s or 30s, that you just haven't been home. Uh, night after night after night. Uh, you know, I wish, I wish you'd be home, Dad. And so uh, what Eugene Peterson goes, decides to do is he goes into the elders meeting, that committee meeting, and he tells them, I'm done. Can't do this anymore. I just I can't lead this church like this. Uh, and of course, they don't want to lose him. They don't want to lose their pastor. And so, well, okay, let's let's do some problem solving. What what do you need? What do you want? And he tells them, well, okay, what I really want to do is pastor and preach and pray. If I can focus all my energy on those things and not have to worry so much about the business of running a church, that would be really helpful to me. And so the committee kicked him out of the committee. So you're not allowed here in here anymore. And he kept showing up, but they told him, you got, we really meant it. You're, you're not allowed here. And it was this, this transformative moment in his ministry where he was able to lean fully into the life, the spiritual life that he'd always desired. And it was a gift to that church. They had this deeply grounded spiritual person calling them again and again to be attentive to God. He was a good Frederick. Um, now, here's what Andy Stanley says in one of his books, Deep in One. Pastors, preachers, and teachers who are not gifted in the area of leadership default to management. Best case scenario, they take what's handed to them and nurture it, protect it, defend it, and in some cases, improve it. Worst case scenario, they focus on pastoring, preaching, and teaching and delegate key leadership decisions to committees. Well, that sounds like some tension, right? That's the direct opposite of what Eugene Peterson just said to do. Uh, and so man, both of these guys are speaking in. It's hard to make sense. I feel like one of them is on each shoulder, and I'm really not sure which is the angel and which is the demon. There are different times when those voices speak into what I'm doing. Uh, another example of this tension between the two, Eugene Peterson's talking about uh, the, sh the difference that uh, our culture is having on our church leadership style. Uh, and so he says, American pastors are abandoning their posts left and right at an alarming rate. They're not leaving their churches and getting other jobs, but they are abandoning their posts, their calling. They are preoccupied with shopkeepers' concerns, how to keep the customers happy, how to lure customers away from competitors down the street, how to package the goods so that the customers will lay out more money. The marketing strategies of the fast food franchise occupy the waking minds of these entrepreneurs. While asleep, they dream of the kind of success that will get the attention of journalists. So we're leaning fully into business practice when we're, when we're thinking about the church. Eugene Peterson saying that we've just adopted that whole way of doing our life together and accomplishing some of the same kinds of goals. We want to get more people and, and more money. And man, we can learn a whole lot from the world about how to do that well. And Eugene Peterson says, well, uh, don't lord it over those like the Gentiles do. It's, it's supposed to be different with you. But that's not real spiritual leadership. And Andy Stanley retorts, we are unapologetically attractional. And our search for common ground with unchurched people We've discovered that, like us, they're consumers, so we leverage their consumer instincts. When you read the Gospels, it's hard to overlook the fact that Jesus attracted large crowds everywhere he went. He was constantly playing to the consumer instincts 
of his crowds. Let's face it, it wasn't the content of his messages that appealed to the masses. People flocked to Jesus because he fed them, healed them, comforted them, and promised them things. And, and I think, too, Andy Staley might say, well, look at our context. I mean, you imagine if you're a missionary going off to some third world country, you are going to find ways to express the gospel in ways that make sense to that culture. And he's saying, okay, if you want to express the gospel in a way that makes sense to our culture, what you do is adopt the practices of consumerism. That's the world we live in. That's what makes sense. That's, that's how you're going to get people engaged. So you've, you've got to be attentive to those kinds of things if you're going to build and run uh, well-run churches. Um, and so here's the challenge for me. Ministry resides in that middle ground, I think. That we are called to be Fredericks, to be attentive to God, to try to find and build on the resources that the church has offered us, the great tradition, and call people again and again to the depths of the gospel, and yet it also involves running institutional churches. That you don't get to do that other stuff if you're not running an organization well, that you've got to be attentive to budgets and people and pews and buildings, that you have to have a mind for that if, if you're going to have an opportunity to do the work of the spiritual life. And it's a difficult place to be, to live in that, that tension between leadership and spirituality. And so... There's been a, another helpful voice for me uh, who's kind of given me a, a, a way to think about combining those worlds and to have them overlap just a little bit more. Her name's Mandy Smith. Uh, she's wrote, written a book called The Vulnerable Pastor. It's a great, great book. Um, and towards the end, she talks about her own struggle with this, and, and this is what she says about it. If our ability to continue to be here means continuing to bless... Even as we sustain ourselves as ministries, organizations, and ministers, we do so for the sake of others. And so we find ourselves measuring bodies, buildings, and budgets, but not as signs of success. It's not the end we're after. We measure them as a way to make decisions about how we can continue to bless. And I love that phrase, continue to bless. But that's the goal. As I sit in that middle ground between spirituality and leadership, what I'm trying to do is I'm holding on to both of those is to continue to bless. Well, what do I need to be doing and working on so that I'm able to do the work of ministry among the people I'm called to serve? Uh, and so I, I, I want to help us unpack that a little bit, this, those, those two callings, to the continuing but also the blessing. And so I want us to spend a little bit of time with uh, this tool. It's the tool. Uh, from a book called Managing Polarities in Congregations, Oswald and Johnson. Uh, this is their, uh, their diagram that they've put together. I know there's a lot on the screen. We'll work through it. Um, but I found this a helpful way to start thinking about you know, how do we manage that tension well between continuing and blessing. Uh, okay, so we'll start at the center. The first thing we need to notice is the word and here. Right? That both poles are important. And if you let go of either one, you're going to get into an unhealthy place. And so one of the examples they use is, in our own lives, activity and rest. Which is more important for your health, activity or rest? 
Yes, oh. right. You have to have both, right? Uh, and so here, up on this uh, quadrant, they've got the values, the things you get if you're doing activity. And so it keeps your mind sharp, it keeps your body toned, stimulated, and challenged. Uh, what are some other things if you're doing activity in your life? How does that help keep you healthy? What are the good things we get from being active? Live longer. You live longer. Mm -hmm. Cardiovascular health. You feel better. You feel better. Yeah. The quality of life goes up. You sleep better. You sleep better. Yeah, the rest becomes more easy. It helps with mental health, like depression mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. Right, absolutely. Uh, okay, so let's come over to this side. Rest is also important. Uh, helps integrate our thoughts. It rejuvenates the body. Relax and get refreshed. What are some other good things that come from, from rest? Why do we need rest? Your brain processes things while you sleep. Right. Yeah, I, I, I love trying to go over my sermon notes right before I go to sleep before su on Saturday night because I wake up and it seems to be more downloaded. <laughs> what else happens during rest? You dream. Yeah. Muscles are restored. Your body has a chance to recuperate from the day. Taking the resources that you've taken in and distributing them where they, they where they it calms you down. Yeah, it's good for your blood pressure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We need we need both of these. Now, there are times though when we do too much of either one, right? And that's what we get into over here. So what happens if we're too active? That we neglect rest. Well, they, they talk about our minds on overload, our bodies exhausted, we're overwhelmed and burned out. What else can happen if we do too much activity? Stress. Stress. What? Cranky. We're cranky. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Injury. Injury. Yeah, we can hurt ourselves. Our body's too tired to, to support it. Good. Uh, what about over here? Rest. What happens if uh, we get too much rest to the neglect of activity? We're dull mind, out of shape, boring, lack of stimulation. What else? Laziness. We're lazy. You can get angry. Get angry. Depression. Depression. Yeah, we're just inactive. Loss of self-esteem. No yeah, I'm not accomplishing anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I put on a few pounds. Or more. Or more. <laughs> <laughs> Dozens of pounds. Yeah. The longer you sit in that, the harder it is to get back into some activity. Yeah, so this lethargy kind of sits in, right? Uh, we have no momentum to get us going. Good. Okay, uh, so uh, beyond this, uh, what we're shooting for is to get to this healthy place where we're balancing this well. We don't want to go to this unhealthy place where we're doing one over and against the other. Uh, and so there's some early warning signs. Uh, if we're doing rest to the neglect of activity, we're watching too much TV. If I find I'm watching hours and hours of Netflix, that might be a sign I need to get up and do something. Uh, two or three days without working out, or two or three months without working out. Uh, gaining weight, the pants tightening, reducing, uh, reduced work on the calendar. Just, I don't have anything to do. The calendar's empty. I haven't been active about pursuing things. Uh, when those early warning signs show up, what are some things we can do? Uh, we can make sure we get eight hours of sleep, take one day a week off from working out, free time each week and eight weeks off each year, kayak regularly, find ways to get back into the rhythm of activity. Early warning signs over here, we need Visine in the morning, Our eyes are red, uh, increased tiredness, increasing forgotten items, just 
can't seem to find things. Spouse says I look tired. Yeah, yeah, I trust my wife. Whatever she's saying about me, I, uh, that's probably a pretty good look at what's going on in my life. Uh, and then action steps. Okay, what are some things I do to lean more into rest? I can read books and newspapers, keep current workouts six times a week, consult and train in a new setting, kayak. Right, kayak's on both. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, okay. We kind of understand this tool. Uh, now I want us to think about what that might look like when we think about continuing and blessing. Right? Uh, so when we think about continuing, leadership, running a church well uh, as an organization, an institution, what are the good things that come from that? More efficient. More efficient. Yeah. Stability. Stability. Continuity. Disciples. Continuity. Making disciples. Making disciples. We're effective in our mission. Okay. Using resources well. Uh, what about over here? For blessing people well. Uh, what is the fruit? What's the fruit of that? Fellowship. Fellowship. Yeah, there's... You're creating community yes. that's organic. Good. Maybe you see other people giving back as well, other people trying to love on, other, love on others around them. Yeah, they've been shaped mm -hmm. by, by the gospel, and that's, that's affecting the way they're, they're treating others. Good. Others are drawn in. Others are drawn in. This is the kind of life I want to be a part of. God is glorified. Yeah, God is glorified. Absolutely. You see depth in the people around you. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's, there's renewed depth. Okay. These are people who are drawing from deep wells. Now, when those crises come, uh, our reactivity is not the same as it would have been if we weren't living in this place, if we weren't a part of a community that was continually calling us to the, the depths of the Christian tradition. Form people to the way of Christ. Yeah. Formation. Yeah. yeah. Spiritual formation takes a center role on that side. So in some ways, I look at unity in the body. Yeah. I think about uh, you know, talking about the spirit all this week, and so um, Leonard Allen his book poured out. So the spirit is poured out on us on here, and then. I think of in terms of leadership, that's what we're pouring out the spirit onto others. Yeah, so yeah. we're being poured into so that we can pour out into others. Yeah. Uh, another way I think about it is this is the scaffolding, right? This is this is the stuff you have to have in place in order for this to happen, right? We're, the goal is for us to eat a meal together. That means someone has to set the plates out, right? Uh, there's work to be done in order to set up and make this this possible. All right, so what are some early warning signs? We're, we're focusing too much on the continuing side. How would we know that well, yeah, we're, we're really neglecting the blessing side? Disunity. Disunity, yeah. No growth. Uh, no growth? No growth. Uh, like spiritual growth, is it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Apathy. Apathy. Pride and control. Pride and control, yeah, absolutely. When we're not in, uh, inviting or recognizing God's presence at the committee meeting. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the story, I think maybe this is out of Willow Creek. Uh, they had this huge ministry, super, super successful. Um, and there was one Sunday morning after they had just a wonderful 
great worship experience, tons of people there. And one person commented on their leadership team, you know, we don't even need God to do this. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> they were, and that was a startling moment where things started to change for them. They had, their eyes were open. Okay, we're, we've gotten off somewhere. If we can do church without God, uh, we're, we're probably way too far down this road. I think fear uh, shows up over here. That if, if we're obsessed with these numbers and worried about the trajectory, whether it's going down and, man, we're fearful about that, or it's going up and, man, we're going to hold on to that for everything we've got. We're fearful of it going that other way. I, I think fear is something that shows up when we're concerned over here. That we're not, we're not leading from a place of centeredness and peace, knowing that God's going to do whatever God's going to do. Uh, what about over here? For focusing solely on blessing and not at all on leadership, what, what happens? What are some early warning signs? You're not available uh, you know, to, to people. Sometimes it, it goes to just kind of a personal focus versus going out to others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're just concerned it's an inward turn. Right? Not thinking about those who maybe are on the fringes of the community. Uh, or outside the community, alternate. Mm-hmm. Makes me think of if you're so busy over here, that's when you pass somebody and say, "How are you?" and you don't even listen for the how they are, because mm-hmm. yeah. you have no time right. for the people. Right. Good. Maybe our churches get stagnant mm-hmm. or over here too long that there's no fresh insights, uh, there's no new directions, there's no new ministries, that we're just going to continue doing what we've always done, we can get into a rut, uh, and even resist trying to, to make some moves. Right? So resistance to change, I think, takes hold sometimes right here. So we have great theological reasons for not doing those other things. It's awesome. On the other side of leaders, you know, the continuity. I just keep on doing what I'm doing and not realize that there may be, yeah, there's a great good things, but they're not great things. Right, right. We could do better. Right. Yeah, being satisfied with what we've got. Exactly right. So it could be on both sides. Okay? Yeah, sure. Just like kayaking. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. You had that one. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. Just like I think on the leadership side, you know, even if you're the Willow Creek Church and growing and blowing up, uh, you lose the spiritual piety. I think on the other side, you can become, if you're not careful, almost overly pious in a way where you're kind of pretentious about it. And yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of like a spiritual snob, I guess would be a good way to say. <laughs> right. Um, not yeah. saying you are, of course, David. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I appreciate yeah. that. Just pointing at you, giving the eyes. So. Yeah. Yeah, there could be some snobbery that comes with this, right? This, this. well, we're not concerned about the things of this world. We're concerned about the things that really matter, the spiritual stuff, right? Uh, and you guys that are so concerned with that stuff are just shallow. We get pretty mean if we stay over here and neglect that. I think about the scripture where he says, you know, the person works out and he says, oh, he's hungry, he's naked, he needs all these things. He says, Go and be blessed. Yep. That's the spiritual side, but I'm not I'm t- not taking care of the physical side. Right. I can be so spiritual that the <coughs> physical needs of people are not necessary. 
Right. Because you're going to go to heaven anyway, so why should I put your clothes on you? Right, right. Yeah. When you think about Mary and Martha in that situation, too. Yeah. And which is the better? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great text to sit with. <laughs> As we live in this tension, right? Yeah. Someone's got to be doing Martha's work. Uh, but someone also better be doing Mary's work as well. Uh, so talk to me about action steps. Uh, let's start over here. If we find ourselves leaning way too heavily into leadership and continuing our, our organizations, leading them well, what could we do to get over to this side more? What could we do to get some blessing going? Use a schedule. <laughs> Use a schedule? Yeah. Yeah, so can you say more about that? Both sides, you know? Your calendar is really revealing about your priorities, right? Sure. Uh, and the church calendar. Right? So what are we What are we doing? What are we spending our time doing? How many meetings are we having? <laughs> uh, why are we having so many meetings? Why? What does that say about our priorities? Yeah, it's good. Pay attention to that. Engaging in the text in new ways. Yeah. You know, maybe through the lens of prayer. Uh, through the lens of kind of the contemplative life. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, even our approach to Scripture, uh, <laughs> there are times when, maybe when we're leaning really heavily into this, it becomes a tool. Right. right. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's right. This is, we can use it to accomplish our institutional goals. Uh, and to take a step back and say, you know, let's just, let's sit with Scripture and listen to the ways it might be shaping us. To sit with one text for a week or a month or a year. I know elderships who have done that, set with Luke 10 for an entire year, reading it every time they met, because they wanted to lean into this side as they were meeting to discuss the administrative things of the church. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with just getting off autopilot and out of our routines and becoming mindful of what's going on and what we are or are not addressing. Yeah, just attentiveness. Yeah. Being intentional about trying to pay attention. Sometimes it just takes a little push, and I'll have to say something about Miss Bonnie over here, <laughs> because I was one that, you know, did a little meet and greet, but she says, no, you need to meet and greet. So now I meet and greet, and it has blessed me. Yeah, yeah. And she got us all here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, so in, I think uh, for us individuals, mentoring, is a really wonderful place. You know, who's, who's a spiritual person you can look up to and learn from? Because uh, that's going to shape the way you do ministry. Uh, you know, find, finding that person of spiritual depth and spending time with them is really important. Uh, what, about, what about this side? Uh, we're spending all of our time blessing and not thinking a whole lot about maintaining the institution. What are some things we could do uh, to get back, uh, lean back into that other, other side of things? You find yourself double booked. You're, you're helping this one, and you already told this other one that you're going to help them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that you're helping so many people that you don't have time to help them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Good. I think from a, uh, a minister standpoint, creating a calendar that you try to keep at least that balances, hey, you know, Monday is my church leadership day. One day, 
sometime in the week I'm going to schedule my contemplative life. So mm -hmm. try to schedule it out. Uh, so when you find yourself too far over there, say, all right, Monday's my church management day. Right, so right, <laughs> right. Do the meetings they got to do and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of this is finding the right people to do the right work. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want me in charge of the budget. <laughs> uh, at the church or at home. Kristen, my wife, does all of that for us, and it's a very good thing. That's the case. Uh, making sure the right people, we have people of different gifts, and they're plugged into the right roles. And it's life-giving for them to be serving the church in those ways. No, we need to pay attention to what brings us joy as we're engaged in the work of the church because that's the place where we're going to best serve. Um, where do we want, where do we find ourselves drawn um, in making room for people to, to participate in those ways? That's what I was thinking. Like, There's even a tension in that because you have the Marys and the Marthas and you want them to be doing what they're good at and it seems to go best when they're doing what they're do best at but even they need to find a balance that maybe they still... You know, the, Mar the Marys that want to just sit at Jesus' feet are still sometimes helping with the structural aspects. You know, I, I think there's still maybe some give and take, but I agree. It does seem like everything's to, everything seems to flow better when everybody's yeah. really using what God has put inside of them. Right. And they're in relationship with one another, right? Yes. Martha needs to be having conversations with Mary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like you because saying, both of them are going to pull one another mm -hmm. towards that other end. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, so if we're in conversation, they can challenge us. Uh, I know, so I, you can probably guess, I tend to lean more towards the Eugene Peterson side of things. And some of the most important people in my life are on the other side. And, man, I try to maintain those relationships with, all I, with everything I have because I need to hear that. If I'm going to be a successful leader, then I need to be listening to them uh, and doing some of the things they're doing, even though I don't really like it because I'd rather be sitting at Jesus' feet. Right. 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 Yeah. Washing dishes is, a, is interesting. <laughs> most of certain marriage relationships. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you can, yeah, that's right. Some of the great spiritual insight. Brother Lawrence loved to wash dishes. I think process is really important. Yeah. Because I, I feel that uh, if you implement and create processes within leadership contexts or ministries, that when you do face those fears and anxieties, it actually helps you get through those. Some people hate process, hate you know, boundaries yeah. and um, all those types of things. But I, in fact, I think that frees you up more. Right. Uh, because when you do, you're always going to face something that you don't expect. And when you do, that process kind of helps preserve you and helps you keep going forward and leaning forward. Right, yeah. So when you come to a, a fork in the road, you already know what you're going to do. Yeah. Right. So you're not making the decision there in that moment. Right. I, I, you, I find myself, have, I have the same exact path through the grocery store every time I go. Because I already know where each item is, and I know which brand I'm going to get. Because it's overwhelming, right? You go to the cereal aisle, there's a million different choices. And if I'm making that choice every single time I go, man, it's going to be a disaster. So if you go into the plan, though, there's a process that you follow, then it's manageable. And you can make some better choices. Good. It seems there's risk either way. The risk of engaging in things you don't like is the risk of getting out of our comfort zone. The risk of delegating is the risk that they're not going to do it exactly the way I want it. That's right. So we have to be willing to take risks and either yeah. chase. Yeah, and, and I think uh, that the delegation piece is, is pretty important. There has to be a high level of trust in order for that to take place. Uh, that even though I know they're not going to do it the way I would do it, I'm going to trust them and let them do it and keep, keep my hands off of it. 
uh, which is a really hard thing to do sometimes, especially if you're not a Frederick and you lean more towards this end of things. Uh, yeah, good. Okay, so let me, let me give you a couple of words. Because uh, what I've found is, that, you know, I've just confessed, I, I tend to lean more towards the spirituality, the Eugene Peterson side of things. And I want to prop myself up and lean into that, that other side. Uh, and I think if you find yourself on, on the leadership end of things, there, there are ways you need to lean into that, that other side. And so I want to give a couple of words to kind of help focus for either side. Uh, and we'll start with the, the leadership bit. Uh, if you're leaning more towards the Andy Stanley leadership kind of stuff, I, th I think disinterest needs to be a word that you hold at the back of your mind quite often. And, and what I mean about disinterest is that you just don't, it's not apathy. It's not that you don't care. It's that you're, you're willing to relinquish control. Right? Uh, that you're okay with outcomes that you would not choose. Once you're going to allow things to take place. Uh, and I think Eugene Peterson is really helpful here. Because he, he talks about this. He says, you know, that you've got to run a church. Uh, Peterson planted a church and grew it to 300 people. He, he knows how to lead a church. And what he said was, well, you've got to approach the work of running a church the same way you approach writing a grocery list. Right? The whole point of that. So make sure your family's taken care of and they're nourished and they have what they need. But there's some work to be done, right? You've got to write down what you need and make a plan. But we don't get real passionate about that grocery list. Right? We're not putting a whole lot of energy or ego into what our grocery list looks like. Because we know this is just serving this other greater goal. And that's the way we should approach church leadership. That yes, we're going to pay attention to buildings and budgets and people, and the number of people, but we do it with the disinterest of saying this is just helping us get to this other greater goal. That we're as passionate about that as we are about our grocery list. Just slow level, we're peaceful about it. Uh, I think we've got to remember Frederick if you're leaning on on this side of things. To be a little bit more like him. Resist the temptation to solve the death of Christendom in the Western world by collecting more nuts. Right? Because that, you know, we talked about fear. That a lot of leadership is driven by fear. And man, if you're looking around at what's going on in the church in North America, there's plenty you could be fearful about. Amen. And so one reaction to that is, well, we're going to gather as many nuts as we can before winter. And that's not really a great solution to the problem. That we're removing ourselves from the trust and the hope that we have. That God is, God is orienting history. And whatever happens here is somehow serving those larger purposes. We're just trying to be attentive to what he's doing in the world. That's, that's what we've got to spend our time thinking about. Um, and, and one question to think about. If you, if you find yourself on this leadership side of things, uh, what goal... Would you love to work towards, regardless of whether it was successful or not? You remove that success piece from it. Where do, you, where do you find joy in your work? What would you just love to work on and find joy in that journey? Spend your time doing that. Because you can, if you can do that, you can take your eyes off the metrics for a little bit. Right? You can spend your time 
avoiding seeing some of the stuff that really you tend to gravitate toward, you tend to be concerned about, and have your eyes set on some, some other things, and be more present in that moment, attentive to what God is doing. Um, and I think the spiritual practice for those who are wired for leadership <coughs> is submission. And, and there's a way of submitting in which you hold bitterness and anger, right? That man, if I don't get what I want, it's really hard for me to let go of that. And even though I'm not going to publicly go against what the elders or whoever made the decision said, I, I'm still holding on to this bitterness. Right? Can we learn to submit in the way that says, man, this is freeing. I, it's not my call to make. And so I don't have to worry about it. They've done it. We're going to go with that. Trust that the Holy Spirit was at work in that decision. And we can move on from there. Uh, you can let go of some of that emotional energy that drives some of that fear in leadership, I think. It's, it's, uh, letting other people take, take responsibility of things yeah. besides you. you. You can't hold the world up. That's right. So delegation is the word I was trying to think of. Yeah. You know, delegate things that need to happen if they are appropriate for the position. That's right. Yeah, do what you do, do what Eugene Peterson does. Right? And he did it because he was naturally bent towards that direction. But I think there are people who are naturally bent the other direction who would be blessed by by taking on, at least even for a season. Go six months where you're not a part of any committee meetings. And see what that does to your soul. See what that does to your church. Uh, I was struck this one time, there was a there's a leadership podcast that I listened to. And uh, man, the guy who runs that leadership podcast is hardcore Andy Stanley. I mean, that, that's the way he, he leans. And he interviewed Eugene Peterson. It was fascinating to me. And, and this was the most startling thing that caused some cognitive dissonance for me. He loved Eugene Peterson. And I said, I, I was thinking, you guys shouldn't get along. But do you realize that he represents everything that you stand for, right? Right? He's against all of that. I mean, he's... Y'all should be arguing, not having this, this, this conversation. Until I realized, of course he loves Eugene Peterson. It's, it's life-giving. Like, he needs, he knows he needs those words. He knows he needs to lean into that stuff. He's found solace from the stuff that has troubled his leadership for so long. The stuff that keeps him up at night, Eugene can help him with. Uh, and so... Uh, I mean, that conversation, again, is important to, to keep going. I'm going to lean into the other side. Okay, so for those of us on, on the Eugene Peterson, Frederick side of things, the word stewardship. Taking responsibility for that which has been given to you. So I think a lot of times, if, and this is autobiographical, I think a lot of times those of us who are wired this way say we're being deeply spiritual and concerned about the things of God and what we're really doing is being passive aggressive. Right? Neglecting the responsibility. And we too can hold bitterness. Because these people just don't know how to lead. They don't care about the things that really matter. And we can walk around holding this anger and passively aggressively poking at that. Uh, our goal is not to transcend the earthly concerns of institutional health and vitality. 
as if we can somehow get to heaven already. We're, just, we're concerned about those things. Our goal is to faithfully steward the resources at our disposal and use them towards kingdom end. Uh, you, you can't go around, get around the messiness of leadership by pretending you're not a leader. That if you're going to be a leader, you're going to be engaged in some messy stuff. That people are sometimes going to be upset with you. And that there's going to be this moments of disunity. And any time you're leading change, it's going to cause conflict. And you can't avoid that in the name of spirituality. What happens, what really should happen is your spirituality affects the way you lead through that conflict. It doesn't teach you to avoid it altogether. So you can sit and work on your own real soul. And I think, too, submission is, a, is an important word here. Uh, the fruit of submission should never be bitterness but peace. I think about Moses on, on the mountain, right, where he's just received the Ten Commandments. He finds out about the golden calf. And God's reaction to that is what? Anger. Anger. What does he want to do? Destroy them. Uh, and if I'm Moses, and if I'm, if I'm honest, I would say, go for it, God. <laughs> <laughs> they deserve it. They have no idea how to get in touch with you. I'm the only one who knows how to connect with you, God. Destroy them. Give them what they deserve. No, hold on. Hold on, God. Wait a minute. Let me go get some popcorn first. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm at sometimes. They're stiff-necked people. They care nothing about deep spiritual life. What do you do with that? Man, they can, can live in a place of bitterness towards your congregation and your, your eldership, your leadership, if you allow yourself to, to stay there too long. So. so often the discomfort we experience from maintaining the institutional vitality of the church is an indicator uh, that we have trouble recognizing our work is genuinely significant. There's some self-esteem issues at play, I think, sometimes. We doubt the meaning of the work we're doing. I, confessionally I do sometimes right when you preach a sermon and you know what you've said but that's not what they heard and they come back and they make little comments and it's the exact opposite of what you said or just thinking about the fact that everything you've said has been forgotten in the first 15 minutes as they're walking out of the parking lot something you spent 20 hours that week working on there's times where you doubt the effectiveness and the meaning of what you're doing. People who have the same problems over and over and over again. They're constantly in your office. Is there any progress? And it can lead to frustration. Um, if we're honest about it. And we've got to take a step back from that and realize that that's our own junk, Right? That that's our own issue. We're, our own concern for our own ego and self-esteem is driving a lot of that nihilism about the meaning of our work. We want to be significant. And so if we're not engaged in work that feels significant, man, that's a, that's a hard place to be. Um, I think sometimes there's a subconscious fear that our work is really ultimately self-serving that drives a lot of that doubt about the work. That, if I'm really honest, I wonder if this whole thing's really been about me the whole time. 
my preacher growing up is sitting in the room. This is the great king over here. I remember the moment when I wanted to be a preacher. It was during a sermon he was preaching. Uh, he was telling the story. I don't remember who, who the story was about. I just remember kind of the general narrative. But there's a 12-year-old boy who decides he's going to grow up and become the greatest preacher ever. And he goes on and he does it. Turns millions to Christ. One of the most well-known preachers. At age 12, he said, I'm going to do that. I was 11 at the time. And the thought that occurred to me was, I can beat that. <laughs> and I want to do what he did. It'd make it even better. There's a, there's a dark side of calling sometimes. That if we're not attentive to, can lead to, and that's even matters. Because if I'm not getting those ego strokes, then man, what's this all about? Um, and you'll be attentive, attentive to that. Uh, okay, so here's a reflection question uh, for those of us who are kind of in this group. Um, and it's more of a thought experiment than a question, but I, I want you to imagine being a part, or have a memory of a time when you were engaged in something that was spiritually meaningful, something that someone else set up for you. I mean, Pepperdine would be a great example of this, right? You're coming and attending, and it's been spiritually nourishing. And to think about, just spend some time meditating on the amount of work that went into accomplishing all this. The number of man hours that were put into little things, setting up the check-in. Someone organizing all the lists that needed to take place. Someone making sure there's water for the speakers. Someone who set up my computer for me this morning. There's tons, millions of things that have happened. The people that are providing food for us. People are paying for all of these things to take place. And to be appreciative, have a sense of gratitude for all those things. Because that helps me get to a place where I can value the institutional health. The institutions really do matter. They're not my enemy. They're scaffolding. They're the tools that make the work that I care about possible. They're setting out the dinner plates so that someone can serve good food. Um, and in terms of spiritual practice, uh, I think fasting is the thing to do. Because again, I think there's so much of this, this desire to, to be spiritually successful, right? And nothing destroys that better than fasting, right? What I have found consistently when I have fasted is I am a worse person. I'm hangry. <laughs> and you're confronted with the reality of the own, your own messiness in your heart. And so if we can do that and start to be honest about what's, what's really driving some of our discomfort about maintaining an institution, uh, then I think we can get to a healthier place. Denying ourselves. Uh, and I wanted to give you a a passage to kind of sit with, and I, Mary and Martha is the right one. But if you're if you're living in this tension, I think returning to that text again and again would be would be fruitful. But not just that text. That's interesting. In in the Gospel of Luke, the one the, the story that precedes that one is the story of the Good Samaritan, the active life. This person just taking time out and uses his own resources to take care of of this man. Uh, and 
it's weird that the story of Mary Martha follows that because chronologically it doesn't really fit. Uh, but I think the point Luke is making is if you want to learn how to love neighbor, read the story of the Good Samaritan. That's what that looks like. If you want to learn how to love God, pay attention to Mary. To Mary. So these are, these are partnered stories that need to be held together. And I think they need to be held together, too, as we think about spirituality and leadership. There are times when we need to lean into Mary. There are also other times when we need to think about what does it mean to lead well, to steward well, so that we can bless others, whoever we might need along the road. Thanks for being here, guys. Let me close this out in prayer. Father, I'm thankful for the people in this room and all the various ways in which they're engaged in your kingdom work. And I pray that you bless them with your Holy Spirit, that it might guide them into the riches of your love, that it might inspire them with the energy needed to go about that work well, to use their time and resources well, so that all things might be transfigured by the pattern and image of your son. So Christ in the Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.